Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea. Today, we have special guest Tim Dauber. Tim Dauber is vice president at Everglades University, and he and his wife have been dear friends of John and I's for a very long time. So thank you, Tim, for joining the podcast. No problem. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. And uh, many people won't know this, but you are the reason why John got hired at Best Buy. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Did, I recruited did you? John. You recruited John. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. John. Yeah. And what I you remember want- I was trying to convince him to come work there for the Best Buy for Business. I was like, <laughs> yeah. you got to work. I forgot all about that. And you know what's funny is, is before that, he couldn't find a job. He had graduated and wanted to work in IT and he couldn't find like nowhere. Really? He was really, no one would hire him. He didn't have background experience. And you were the first person who took a chance on him. Oh, I, as soon as I interviewed him, I was like, I found our BBFB supervisor. Like I knew, <laughs> you know what I mean? So what well, was it about BBFB him that made you? We brought him as technology consultant. What we knew after him working there for like 30 days, uh-huh. like he was going to be our next uh, DCI. Uh-huh. Like we already knew, you know. How um, did you the know that? supervisor we had, we were just like, Ugh. So <laughs> we were trying to figure out what to do with John. It was his personality, just like John. You knew he had a, he had always like a positive personality. I can, he was calm, but assertive. Uh, you knew he was someone that was going to fight to get results. It was just something in the interview. I'm a, you know, I'm a big, I think when you interview people, I've always said, I think you know I mean, I, like, like in the first three to four minutes of the interview, I know if I'm going to want to hire you or not. And like I always said, it's about, it's about the idea. There's a bunch of things like you could, you know, maybe it's a referral or whatever, but I've never hired someone that I don't like. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, I really think this person's a jerk, but I'm going to hire him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the personal connection you make with someone in an interview and you know that they're going to fit into your team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a key piece or you know what you're looking for in your team mm-hmm. uh, and other people done the interviews. And uh, I just knew a John right away. I really liked him. Oh. I forgot about that. But I remember, uh, yeah, I really wanted him to come on board. And then I remember they redid BBFB. Yeah. And I tell them that I'm like, oh, don't worry, though. We already got a plan. Like, <laughs> we just didn't want John to leave. We just knew John was really good and we weren't wrong. You weren't wrong. And he yeah. and he's so process oriented. That role served him very well for the first few years there. And well, then I our geek squad because it was a mess before. Yeah. Went, so. <laughs> oh, he could fix a geek squad like no yeah. other. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. And ironically, then when it few years later down the road, I started Best Buy. And then when it was time for me to leave Best Buy uh, because of the schedule, uh, you and uh, right. Rich. Yeah, Rich yeah. and you guys just came and you're like, Come here. We got you. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> well, thank I remember. You. I forgot about hiring John. Yeah. Basically, wow. you hired both of us. <laughs> yeah, but it's, in, it, it's just funny how things come for a circle. Yeah. You know, that's why I love reading stuff, too. When you even see it on LinkedIn or Facebook, you see people like they get promoted or the different things they're doing in life. And it's just kind of neat, you know, because you remember way back when, you know, we were so much younger. I don't even know if you when you and John, when I first met, I don't even know if you guys had kids then. Yeah, we had kids. You know, I mean, and my twins were like one year, you know, and then here yep. it is, 
like 20 years later and I'm looking on Facebook and I'm like, he's driving, like me and your son. I'm like, come yeah. on. Come, I said, so how I feel about your sons. You have two young men who are now doing great things and looking to have a military life. And we'll get into that. But man, you guys that you and Laura, shout out to Laura. Yeah, more Uh, shout out to Laura than me. Oh, I and she is your better half. She is so cool. And uh, she's this redhead, petite woman. And she also, her and I used to work together at Best Buy 310. That's right. She used to work the front, the security. Yeah, she did. This uh, little petite redhead. (laughs) People don't know, Laura used to be, she was a county sheriff. She was a police officer. What? Yes. Oh my God. I got to get her on here too. Yeah, she was an officer (laughs) at the violent crimes division in the city of Chicago. Wow. at, At Belmont Western. What made her go to Best Buy then? I know this is supposed to be about um, you. Well, it was when we got married. I remember <laughs> okay. uh, transition. Same thing like when you were leaving there. I think it was work schedule, demand, yeah. our oldest son, who's 35 now. But it was a change in lifestyle. And we were moving to the suburbs. And I think it was just, it's the demand on your life, right? Mm-hmm. And other things take priority. Yeah. You know, and then we had the twins. That wasn't going to work with twins. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So tell me about your early years and your rise to to get where you are. How did it all start? You know, I, I think for me, none of it was really planned. You know, I think, you know, I was an individual that went to college that did not do well, came from a family like my grandfather came from Ireland, probably had a fourth grade education, same as my grandmother. But his his definition of success in life or his idea was every generation had to do better, right? Had to do better as far as education and, and embrace the opportunity. I went to college. It was an utter disaster. I was scared to death of my father. Were uh, you good hard. in high school? Good, but could have been much better had I applied myself. You know, mm. I was probably the ideal person in high school that would learn how to Find the, you know, if I could get a C, I'd be like, I got a C, I'm good. C's right? get degrees. <laughs> yeah. You know, in my big mantra used to be like, C students from home. But I really didn't apply myself in college. And so I was afraid of my father. And my father was a carpenter, contractor, you know. And so the rules in the house were you could go to college or you don't have to, but then you had to start paying like $800 a month rent. And you got to remember back then, I mean, this is what, 30 years ago? That was a lot of money. So I came home, I knew I needed to have a plan and I had to have a plan in place before he saw my grades. And so I just came home and said, hey, I joined the Navy today. And he shook my hands and I think it's a great decision. <laughs> and that was before the grades came. So I, w- I was preventing, you know, the inevitable. And for me, I think what it was is the Navy didn't teach me what I wanted to do. It taught me what I didn't want to do, which I was a jet mechanic. And it's not that I hated it, but I realized like, I'm not the guy that wants to be cleaning oil in the bilge all day. Um, but it was a great experience. It gave me four years to really process like, like where I was at in life and what I had to do. Mm. And when I got out, uh, I worked in some sales jobs, but my, my jobs weren't my job. My job was school. That's how I treated it. And so I ended up, uh, I went to a community college, but I was an adult student. I was nervous to go back because I never applied myself. It took some time to build the confidence level to be successful in school. Uh, I always tell the story, I smoked probably a half a pack of Newports the first day of class before I went in debating if I wanted to do that because I was afraid that I wasn't going to be successful. But I was blessed that I had my twin brothers and other people that would help keep me encouraged and engaged. Mm -hmm. It took me eight years at nights to earn my undergraduate degree, nine years. So it was a long haul, but that was the platform. And I would say that the other piece was 
I got a job with the county at Cook working in the file room in the comptroller's office. And certain things fell, you know, I was at the right place at the right time. Not that I was a smart person, but my accountant had a heart attack. So I went to the comptroller and said, hey, I'd like to do his job. You don't have to pay me. You can leave me at my current salary, right? But that opened up the door for experiences. And then I excelled in that while I was going to school. And then I was at the treasurer's office. A bunch of people got indicted. I got sent down there to help. And then I was brought down there and stayed. New treasurer came in. I was someone that always worked. I stayed and in government, that's not, that's not normal. Like, you know, five o'clock they leave. Mm -hmm. I would stay till seven o'clock. I worked on Saturdays and I didn't get paid for it. Uh, we had a snowstorm. She saw me there. She made me the assistant director of financial control and certain things ballooned. And then as you networked, I worked my way into retail through Target and other places. One of them was Laura was an admin for Target's regional office. So I was able through that, they met me. I wasn't looking, but the opportunity existed. And then you, know, you just expand your network and certain opportunities come your way. And then I think through the years, you learn what you're good at, and what you're not good at. Mm. And then I've learned how to surround myself with people to help offset my weaknesses and become very comfortable with that. I think earlier in my career, I was not comfortable with that. I liked everyone to kind of operate and think the way I think. Uh -huh. which was like, you should work eight hours a week, you know? <laughs> you should never well, stop working. that's not how everybody <laughs> operates, right? And so, you know, you just evolve, you change, and then there's different platforms. And then in my life, I completely redefined, like, how I see success. And so success for me today is more about my children than anything else, right? Mm -hmm. I've realized, like, hard work gets you to a point. I truly realize that, like, you work really hard to get to a point, uh, to move beyond that point. You have to be incredible at your ability to network, the political side of it. And that's not where I'm exceptional. I have a problem called self-assurance. Even though my mind says, don't say it, I'm going to say it anyway. It <laughs> uh, but I've become content in like understanding what I do well and what I love to do. And I'm happier than I've ever been. And then my success is really watching my children grow and come into their own because I'm following the mantra that my grandfather had, which is every generation has to do better. And so I've been able to position them just like my father did to ensure that they have a platform or base to operate from that in theory, their life will be better. And it's not about money. It's about happiness. Right. Mm. So I don't know if any of that makes any sense, but that's how I got to where I'm at today. All of it makes sense. And isn't it ironic that school was such a, an issue for you and now you work at as your vice president of right, yeah. Everglades University. <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny part is like, I tell people all the time I went back and got my MBA at 49, you know, like you're never too old and I'm contemplating. I've always wanted a PhD. So I'm contemplating starting a, a PhD. It scares me a little, but because it scares me, I got to go after it because the end in mind is what I really want to do. I want to teach at the collegiate level, so at the university level. I can do it with a master's, but I'd like to get a, uh, a DBA potentially, but I got to think through it. It's a big commitment, but I think well, that's going to be the next hurdle. What subject would you teach? It would depend on the business platform. If you have a DBA, depending on the school, I mean, if I did like a, a PhD in leadership, anything in the leadership platform, I could do it at the graduate level, undergraduate level. It's a little more expansive, but it depends on their accreditation standards. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd really like to be involved in operational components, leadership, ethics, and that realm. But it depends on the university, the program they have, and, and if are you accredited, right? Mm -hmm. In many cases, when you first start out teaching, it's what they tell you you can teach. You're like, yeah, okay, I'm good. You know what I mean? Beggars can't be choosers, you know? That's true. That's true. Um, but you have a desire to teach. Yeah, and give back time. in that way to share your knowledge with other people, which I think is amazing. Well, if you think about what you and I have done, John, other people 
our whole career, whether it was at Best Buy or was anywhere we've ever worked in theory and leadership roles. If you're good at it and you like it, you're technically teaching, yeah. right? I mean, and if you get older and you really get it, you know, it's the idea of allowing mistakes to happen because it's a learning environment, but we've all taught, we just don't think of it that way, but we're all teachers at the end of the day. Yeah. So. Uh, teachers and learners. You mentioned that mantra of your grandfather doing better every generation and your relationship with your dad earlier. Did that put a lot of pressure on you? Yeah, I think pressure. My dad and I, I don't think I told my dad I loved him from the age of 16 till I graduated boot camp. We always were bumping heads, you know. My dad was one of these, he grew up, very challenged life in and out of orphanages and family was everything to him, but he was also very streetwise, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe a little callous in a way you have to be. Callous, but I mean, he was, you know, old school, like he was king of his castle, you Mm -hmm. know? And he used to tell me all the time, whatever you're thinking about doing, I've already done. So, you know, I mean, yeah. But I think it was when I graduated from boot camp for him, it was the idea I, I, I'd become an adult, right? Mm-hmm. He'd done everything he could to position me in a way to make wise decisions, be a contributor to society, be a good person. So that was huge. You know, I think that that concept of my grandfather was, I don't think that hit home till I went back to college. And it hit home with me that I was the only grandchild in my group, you know? meaning my age group or not like grandchildren, you would say like for my dad, but that hadn't graduated college. So there's okay. a little bit of pressure there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I had to get moving, you know? Yeah. Uh, or like my nieces and nephews beat me. Can't let that happen. Yeah, and it really, <laughs> that, that, that statement, that concept didn't really come into play until I was almost done. Like we really think about it. I, I treated college, it was semester by semester. I just did not the mindset patience enough to say, okay, this is going to take me six, seven, eight years. I've never been able to do it. It was just semester to semester. So the semester was an accomplishment, go the next semester. And I was also going, you know, all year round. So I went during the summer as well. So, but I had to work full time and I had two part-time jobs. So it was kind of a challenge. And then you're taking part-time classes. I had a pretty hefty schedule. Wow. Were you and Laura married at that time? No. No. This Laura was before and I got, Laura. Laura and I started dating and I got married probably in the last six, seven months of school. How did you know Laura was the one for you? Oh, I knew right away. People at work were trying to set us up. So it was so funny. Like I noticed her and I thought she was very attractive, but I was one, you know, I don't like that whole, I was like the single guy of all my friends. So everyone was trying to set you up. Like I'd go to a friend's party and the wife would be there and she's like, oh, Tim, hey, this is Andrea. She's a school teacher and single. And I'd be like, oh. And single. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to leave. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, you're just like how uncomfortable and forced, right? But the original thing when I first met Laura, I remember I called her while we were at work. We worked for the same, the treasurer's office. And I had said, I explained to her, said, hey, I know a lot of people are talking like, you know, I said, I just, I don't want to date anyone at work and blah, 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 blah. And I ended up then asking her to meet me outside. And then I asked her to go out. And so it was kind of interesting. I just didn't want, we kept everything quiet, but I probably knew after the second or third date that Laura was the one for me, Mm -hmm. but we dated for a long time. And then we were engaged. Nobody at work knew, like they were shocked when we got engaged. They're Uh, like, you guys know each other? (laughs) Yeah. What we would do is like, if we were going to lunch together, we'd go out opposite ends, you know, through city hall and. Uh, but I think I knew second or third date. Mm. I just it hit for me that I knew she was she was special. And part of it was she was strong, and she always said was someone that if I was being a little egotistical or a jerk, she would step on my toes and put me in my place. 
Yeah. I kind of appreciated that, you know. Mm-hmm. She's just as strong and articulate as you and not willing, yeah, yeah, not and willing to hide it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was impressive. And it was just a good counterbalance in the relationship. And I remember I could have, like, we could go out and have a drink or go to, we could just have, we could just sit there and talk and have amazing dialogue. And it was just, it was like refreshing and it was nice. And she, she just, yeah, it was, I thought that she was beautiful and that was in love with her. And, and, and I love the way she stood on her own. And I have, yeah, I'd say second or third date. I knew. So then you, you're, you're still a workaholic, you're working, you're growing, yeah. trying to, you know, make a family, raise a family. How did you navigate those early years and how did you position yourself to continue to grow? I think for a lot of people, the mistake you make is you work all these hours. Like we had the twins. I would go to work, you leave for work. I'd leave at like eight, nine in the morning, you know, stay till 10, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, come home. You're not present in your marriage. You're not present in your children's life, you know, and then you, and then you use the excuse that I'm doing this for us. In reality, in retrospect, you're not, you're doing it for yourself. Right. And it's a strange balance you have to work through. How long did that take you to reach that conclusion? And how did you reach that confusion? Was Laura like, what the hell? (laughs) I think there's a give and take with everything. Like for me, Laura and I got separated at one point because of it. And I think that was a big wake up call for me when the twins were about two, because it was true. Like I would leave for work seven o'clock in the morning, come home at 1030 at night. Right. I I think you're kidding yourself thinking that you're actually that you're doing well by your family, because in theory, you're not, right? Maybe you'll advance your career, but you're causing and missing out on opportunities in life with your family. I think for me too, when it when it really hit home that I realized a lot of that was farther in my journey with Best Buy, I balanced it better. Because in retail, it's challenging, and you know this. I mean, it's kind of like, it, it's a seven day a week job, especially seven. the leadership role. And it's long days. I don't think people get it. I've always said to work in retail, you have to have a few screws loose in your head, right? <laughs> Truly. Yeah. And it hit me pretty hard. I remember about six months, five months before I left Best Buy, I took a week off. And I remember I was going to go back to work. And I sat on the edge of the bed and I started crying. And Laura's like, what is going on? And I just said, I don't want to go back. I said, I know at this point, like, I'm not going to see, I'm not going to be there watching kids play basketball. I'm not going to see them play soccer. And I said, I just can't do this anymore. Like, I, you know, but I also knew myself, I'm one of those people that's going to work six days a week. I create my own environment, my own problem. But you have a responsibility and you have a responsibility to your team. And I just knew at that point, like, it wasn't in me anymore to give that level of effort. And that's when I started looking, I got to, I got to do something else. Uh, it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the people who work for me. And it's not healthy for my marriage and all my children. And I didn't want to be that individual that cycles back 30 years later and says, well, I wish I would have seen this. And there, there, there's some type of, there's a saying that's like, when you're laid to rest, nobody's going to care about the size of your house, the car you drove, the title you had, or how much money. What they're going to care about is the difference you made in someone else's life. And I think it's a good way to live your life. And it's true, right? Mm-hmm. It's about how do you impact other people around you, uh, friendships, the love you give, the trust you extend, sometimes the honest feedback that's critical. But I think that's what I evolved into, you know? Yeah. I don't know and if that makes sense. But. It does. And because you are willing to acknowledge how you were feeling and what you were going through with the situation you were in, <laughs> and as well as the need that you had, 
you were able to then step out and leave and find and create another position for yourself. And then through that, you helped me leave when I needed to leave. Yeah. <laughs> like I had kids and I'm at that point and I yeah. don't know where to go. And I graduated from college, but all you see on my resume at that time was Best Buy and people yes. weren't, people weren't hiring. People weren't choosing me. And I just wanted, all I wanted was to get out of retail. Like I was praying for an office job and here you come and you're like, I got you. Well, you know, saying that it's amazing when you think back, like people just saw Best Buy because like even here, I try to advocate a lot. Some of the best people that you can possibly hire in any industry are retail people. Yes. Because they but then with, they're not hired half the time. No, but you deal with HR issues. You're dealing with budgets, payroll balancing, scheduling, motivation, sales technique. I mean, the gamut. And it's all in the moment. And it's yes. insanity each day. And you have a plan, you adjust your plan, you adjust it again. And I'm always like the base leadership skills and the ability they have to adapt to an environment is unbelievable yeah and it's naturally like it's just it's it's a skill set they built into themselves so you can hire them in a completely different industry but they bring all these other translatable skills that make it easy to adjust to a new environment and people like oh they worked at best buy i'm like are you insane (laughs) you know Yes. And so now if I, if I ever have, you know, even people that I I used to work with, like if they need a job or if they're looking, it's like, hire them, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it every single day. (laughs) If you can. Even think you have like back then you were the department manager, if I'm right, for a while in Naperville for the PC department, right? Yes. I ended as at the PC department. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think most people get it at a young age you're running a PC department that probably does like five, six, seven million dollars a year, right? Oh man. And Maybe then this more is there. more and and Apple at that time. I yes. mean it, oh and you had the also the expansion of all of the wireless cellular providers and PC and yeah. mobile at that time were integrated in a in a unique way as well as with Geek Squad. So you had this culmination of selling hardware and software products and managing that, but then also integrating cellular and mobile devices and then Geek Squad sell, um, services and um, break fix issues. So I was like this crazy world. Yeah. <laughs> but when yeah. you think about it, like think of the skill sets it takes to be successful in environment and then on top of that you have to be adaptable to a range of people to work for you from like age 60 to 18 or 16 right yes. and so your leadership skill set communication you have to adjust it with all these people and motivate them to inspire other people to buy product and people are like well she worked at best buy and i'm just like wow you guys just missed the train yeah. so many times Mm-hmm. So tell me, I remember when uh, John was working for you, he came home and he was like, Tim has ADD, ADHD. Yeah. Or, or, uh, I have attention. Yeah. Deficit attention disorder. Hyper disorder. And he was really impressed that you are so vocal about it. And it, we, it was at a time where it wasn't talked about. It wasn't understood. You were very much open and transparent and leveraged it to your, to your strength. So how did you do that? Can you speak to that portion? So part of that came about my oldest son has attention deficit hyper disorder and I didn't get diagnosed till I was older to an adult, which explains a lot of different things when I was younger. (laughs) Well, and I tried, uh, I tried medication and I hated the medication it made. I mean, literally like everything seems so slow. Like I hated it. I felt like if you called my name, it was like, do, 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 do. You don't know. I mean, yeah. and, and I felt I lost a competitive advantage. And, and I, 
once I was diagnosed, I was more comfortable talking about it because it explained something. I could make sense out of chaos. Like it could be super busy. I was able to process all this stuff at once, create a plan in my head. Uh, I was comfortable with that. I think it was because of the ADHD. Multiple things going on didn't bother me. And then in retrospect, I, I really started to think back like years in college. And I realized like Laura used to ask me all the time, like, how do you study with the TV on? And I'm like, it's the only way I can study, you know? And so I, I could never sit there and study and read and it's zero quiet. I would get nothing done. And so I'd have to have like the TV on. And even today, if I'm doing stuff like for school or it's at work, I'll have a TV on. She could say, what are you watching? I'm like, I, I have no idea. It's the noise in the background allows me to focus. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's part, like I really like art. And so I help it. Sometimes it helps with the creative side. It calms me. And then the other one was I noticed I like an aesthetically pleasing environment, meaning if your office is a hot mess, like I can't even to this day walk in and have a conversation with you. Like, <laughs> it's like a panic attack. Like, I'm the I same like, way. I yes. am the same way. So, well, I can see. I need, I'm like very impressed with you. I office. need order <laughs> yeah, in certain even, places. Like, your pink flowers back there are perfectly centered on the table, which is outstanding. Are they? Yeah, yes. it looks really good. <laughs> Thank Everything you. Was. But I, 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 I am that way. And, and I think part of sometimes in sharing things like that with people, it's not to say I think they have it. I think it's okay, you know, for people to understand, like, like people had to truly know who I was. Like I used to tell them there's times like when you're talking, I might start scribbling a picture and, and please don't ever think that I'm not listening. That really means I'm focusing in. If I'm not doing that, I'm not hearing anything you're saying. And that was part of the ADHD. It allowed me to like super focus in. I could repeat your conversation verbatim. But I think at times people have to be comfortable saying, this is who I am. Yeah. Right? If you're comfortable with it, because I think it allows other people to understand at the same point, like not everybody's perfect and it's okay to have opportunities or challenges in life. There's shared dialogue around that. I wasn't a perfect person and I get better and evolve every day with life experience. But I, I, when people work for you, they have to know who you are, right? And, and so many times we're not willing to share that. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I think it was okay to share it. It was just, that's who I was. And, and part of it, I think, came about is people used to ask, how do you walk the sales floor? Or show me how you can mentally tick off all these items, create a plan, readdress, do it again. And I used to say, well, I have ADHD. It makes it easy, right? So if you put me in an environment like, because the reverse of it is put me in the, what was it, the sales training office, whatever, shut the door and ask me to write out a plan, but I can't have any music or any noise you know, four hours later, you're going to come back and I'll have on the top written plan. It was just being open and sharing things with people to make yourself more human. Mm. And from there, and, and then you started working at, at, at the, the, the university, how did that progress? And are you happy with where you're at now? Yeah, where I'm at now, I'm at a non-for-profit Everglades University in Florida. Uh, I love it. I mean, there's still deliverables. I love the environment, love the team I have. Um, love the university. There's challenges, but uh, it's a good place. It's a good place to work. Um, it's eclectic mix of different individuals, you know, yeah. amazing at times really like someone with a PhD has no computer skills. It just blows my mind. You know, you <laughs> but I bet Harvard you they in, are a great lecturer. <laughs> yes. You have a PhD from Harvard in physics, but you can't use Excel. Like, hmm. I mean, that kind of makes sense, though, but they're probably really good sure, in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just interesting. Even in that, I think it's become 
like talking to some of the different individuals at work here, like uh, one of the doctors, he has his undergraduate from like uh, Purdue, his master's and his PhD is from Harvard. And he's one of the founding scientists of like LED laser technology. And I'm just like, what? Or there's a few people like, and they might be close to 70 and they still teach, but I'm amazed when I sit there and listen, they have a PhD in leadership, a PhD in, in IT, like computer science and a PhD in philosophy. And I'm just like, can we sit down and talk? Cause I just have to understand, like, how did you do this? <laughs> like, like, I don't get it. Like, and they did it while they were working. Right. You know? And uh, so it's become more about like just the people experience and truly involving around like a student centric experience for students. We're really geared towards, towards adult learners and have a new platform for that. Uh, but being that I was someone that went to school as a non-traditional adult student, you can really connect with them and some other struggles and life happenings. And, you know, they have a spouse, they have children, they have work. Like, how am I trying to figure all this out? And mm -hmm. I think that's the part I love. Outside of, I love operations. I love the finance side. But it's a great place. And I think I found home and I'm hoping I'm here for like another 15 years and then right off into the sunset. And then that's what you'll do. <laughs> and I'm going to go teach. And then you're going to go teach. And your boys are, are grown now. They're... 19. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, that's 19 is pretty. Yeah, 19, 19 and a half now. But yeah, they're grown, but you get what I mean by that. Yeah, I do. I do. I was 17 year old. He just turned 17. So just I feel I feel like he's still so close to my heart, so close to home. I I don't even I don't I don't want to be where you and Laura are just yet. No. <laughs> like I do, but I don't, but I do. Well, um, the twins are always saying to me, they're like, why does mama and I, you know, mom's always she's asking me this, she's involved in that. And I'm like, well, you guys are going to realize that you're going to be 30. You're still going to be mom's baby. It's you know, you're going to be 50. You're going to be mom's baby. It's never <laughs> going to change. You know, they don't want it to either at the end of the day. And so when you think about where they're at, where you and Laura are, where do you find the greatest satisfaction? And then what worries you the most right now? What worries me the most? I think the greatest satisfaction is watching them grow into their own person because they're identical twins too, right? They're both, they're identical, but completely different. Mm -hmm. Watching them grow and develop and create their own identities. And, and, and I'll tell you, it was, you know, a proud moment for me. So there's part of me, I was a little mad. And then I was very proud of them. Uh, when all the protests were going on, they wanted to go to downtown Orlando and be part of it. And I was scared. I was like, I don't, you know, you could get hurt, whatever. Well, irregardless of Laura and I told them they went anyway. Right. And they drove down there, they parked. And it was interesting to see it was their senior year of high school, I think it was. Is that their senior year of high school? Yeah. And to, to see the people that are becoming, and that although we were worried and told them not to, because we we're worried about their safety, they felt it was important enough anyway that they went and told us about it later and had some great stories about how amazing it was. Right. Wow. And Wait, so, is this recently? Yeah. So you like, uh, and that there were so are they at the opposite political spectrum from you and Laura? No, Jake is as far left liberal as you can go. Ian is probably like myself. Like I'm an old school Democrat in theory. I'm just irritated with politics in general, and I think they're all basically idiots. Ian's very moderate, mm. very moderate. Jake is very, 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 very liberal. But they both, even though Ian's moderate, he thought it was important that like they they went and marched and participate in the Black Lives Matter 
protests in Orlando. Mm -hmm. My fear was all the riots elsewhere, like, what if something happens, right? You're yeah. freaking out. But mm -hmm. they won anyway. And I and, and and part of me is, even though we told them not to, I think there's that side of you that's very proud of the fact that they felt something was so important and so important for their generation. They felt they had to go participate and make their voice heard. And that was a moment where I kind of realized like they're both going to be really good people in this world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then you you think back, like I talked to people at work, I think for the greater whole, whether it's politicians, whatever, they have to pay attention to this generation because they're different and they think different. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for the good. Mm. But I, I think that's a moment where you feel really proud and you know you've done a pretty good job with your children. Mm -hmm. um, even though, like I told them not to, they did it. I couldn't really be mad at them. What am I supposed to say? Yeah, right? you were proud of them because but they stood up for them. I was proud of them their... because they made a decision independent of what I told them. And it was because they felt it was important. And they told us, you know, mm -hmm. they came home and told us, but said, even ones like that, it's just something that we both thought we had to go do. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you say to your child? You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't follow your heart. Don't follow your. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, so what worries you the most? You're pretty successful work wise, financially, and you're in Florida. You got some great weather. Your boys are doing great. What worries the most with my boys are just in life in general. Either. 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 I think with the children, with your children, you're always worried that life's going to give them a fair shake, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I worry all the time that when something happens, like a relationship goes south with them and, you know, it's tearing their heart out, but you know, you've been there yourself, right? You want to take that pain away, but you can't. That's part of the growth experience. I have different worries for Ian for obvious reasons because of the military. Um, thank God he no longer wants to be an army ranger. He wants to do intelligence and operations. Mm -hmm. I would probably have to be medicated. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's more so that you know, they get to follow their dream and chase their dream and they don't get to settle, you know, mm -hmm. because life is really a short period of time. You know, I'm, I'm going on 51. You know, I've lived more than half my life in theory. Right. It's so weird when you think about it. Like I tell people, like I got like if I live to 80, I got three more Christmases, you know, mm -hmm. so you really got to embrace it. And I just hope that they get most out of life and you want to be there to help them all the time, but you can't. That's what I worry about. I think in life in general, it's just, you know, I want to be value added. I want to enjoy my life. I want to spend as much time as possible. Laura, I'd love to have like a townhome, can't afford one on the beach, but near the beach, you know, because we're kind of getting that empty nester feeling now with the boys at 19. Mm -hmm. There's some nights it's just me and her at home, which is so weird. Mm -hmm. uh, until they give you grandkids. <laughs> yeah, they're, exactly. they're going to be like, here. <laughs> yeah, I don't have tremendous worries anymore. You know, I always used to worry about it. It was always about career, job, growth, being promoted. You know, how, you know, you know, I got to make, I want to make a million dollars a year. I think some of those things have changed. I just, I'm more focused on being a good person, learning to listen more, being value added where I can be value added, being a great father and a great husband, trying to get better at it every day. I mean, I can be a true pain in the ass. But the real fears aren't there. I, I think it's the fear of doing the right thing by my children, my wife, and other components and moving forward. That's it. I, I don't have these tremendous fears anymore, if that makes sense. I, I think I, that's really um, assuring from my perspective because it means that um, you're so settled and, and, and not in a bad way, but in a yes, great that's way. That's what I'm trying to answer. You summed it yeah. up. I'm not complacent. Yeah, I you're just, not complacent. You're at peace and there's a difference. I'm at peace and, and, and I think it's different. And I think you were there at points in your life where it's 
we're always looking for what's next, what's next, what's next, how hard do I got to work? And it doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I'm not committed, but I've realized like at some point in life, like you have to say like, this is pretty good. So to that younger husband, to the younger father who's in that stage of grinding, in the stage of trying to achieve and maybe isn't home as much either. Maybe they're missing birthday parties or holidays or Valentine's Days or whatever that may be. What would you tell them? I think I would share my personal story. I would tell them I was the same as you. I was separated for about a year and a half because of it. And to this day, every day, I regret every moment I didn't see my children right for a year and a half. And for what? Mm. to be a district customer solutions manager, to make $12,000 more a year. I mean, I would have ended up where I ended up anyway. And I think in the big retrospect, I can't get that year and a half back. I can't get those experiences that time. The pain I caused my wife, the whole concept there. Um, You're kidding yourself and it's a self-centered approach. I think you have to really clearly understand in life, you have to have a path, but your path has to include work, children, family, And you have to understand what those constraints are. You have to place those constraints on yourself. You have to define your life. More importantly, you have to understand that every level of leadership that you move up, the only thing you have as a tradable commodity is your life, your time. And, you know, if you're someone that's willing to trade that, which I call today selling your soul all the time, then you you probably shouldn't get married, right? Mm -hmm. And, And my point, and I think that's why we see the higher divorce rate and other components, but I think people have to process that. Like if you want to coach soccer and be around for that component, you have to understand there's a constraint on salary and other components. Stay within the constraint. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you got to be careful what you, you wish for in life because you're going to put the effort and time in and you're not going to get the reward you want. You're going to lose out the more you gain. And there was actually a uh, pretty high ranking member of Lowe's leadership at one point. I won't share his name or anything, but at one point he was like third in command of Lowe's, multi-millionaire, started out there as like a lawn and garden part-time associate. I remember sitting there once we were at a sales meeting and I went with him, someone that knew him very well, that was a friend of mine. And we went and sat on the lawn of the resort and we had a six pack of beer when we were talking. And he did share that if he could redo his whole career, he wouldn't move as much, would have taken the promotional opportunities, irregardless of how much money he's made in life. He really felt that it damaged his children, created problems, why his one child had a lot of issues. All the times he moved and what he sacrificed to create a a very selfish, self-centered rise for the idea of power and other components that he really made his family suffer through the last 20, 25 years. And I'll never forget that hit me so hard at one point because here's a gentleman you think would say life is perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm worth like $35 million. I make four or 5 million a year. And in retrospect, he's saying if he could do it over, he would stay the store manager. Mm. So uh, I, I think that would be the advice I give. Find out what you want out of life. Understand what you're trying to contribute. Who's going to be involved? Create a plan. Stick to the plan. And don't sell yourself on that idea. If I work 70, 80 hours a week, uh, I'm going to make it to X level because it's not going to happen. Because the people that get there don't work 70, 80 hours a week. They normally work 40 to 45. Mm-hmm. So what about what about marriage advice? You guys have been oh, married so is. far. I'm sure uh-huh. you're great. You guys are still going strong. Yeah. Maybe you. Um, I think is the, the number one thing I've learned is marriage is a compromise. I don't always compromise well. And there's times you just don't say what you think you should say. Become very <laughs> good at that. There's so many times in my life I would say something and I'd be like, oh, I wish I could have that back. And I could just tell by the look I got, 
to hold your tongue sometimes. Oh yeah. I've learned how to do that. I've had a Windex bottle come flying at my head, you know, <laughs> but well, you're marrying an Italian woman. You know? <laughs> no, but, um, I need to talk to Laura now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think the other side of that too is, you know, marriage is, marriage is there, there's going to be great times, bad times and okay times. You really need to embrace and love the okay times because that's what a lot of it is about. It's just okay, right? The norm, the minutia of day to day. And then small things matter you know, more so than anything. And I think a lot of people get married and it's, it's either it's great or it's bad. You got to learn to roll with the hits a little bit, but you also have to accept the fact like, like Laura is my best friend, right? There is no one that's a better friend than Laura to me. Am I always perfect? Not, but she'll tell me, but we can sit there and have great conversations. There's moments, but you just have to embrace the okay and learn to love it because it is, at the end of the day, the okay are beautiful times and some of your best times when you really think about it, right? And I think that's what people miss at times. Like the small opportunities, like if her and I are just sitting outside by the pool and it's a Saturday, you know, it's just, that's like what I'm saying, the routine, the norm, whatever, but it's a beautiful time. And you really need to embrace those moments and times to remember them and have a photogenic memory. And I think too many people get wrapped up in all the highs and all the lows. And I've learned to appreciate the fact that my wife's my best friend. She's as beautiful as the day I met her. She still loves me, even though I've gotten old and fat. And she's the, my best friend. And, you know, in many regards, my only really good friend that I trust 100%. Wow. So I would give that advice. It takes time, right? I don't think truly being in love with someone happens overnight. I think it takes many years and it's taking the good with the bad, the compromise, the understanding, and more importantly, adjusting yourself to your specific spouse. Uh, so you can bring out the best in them and they can bring out the best in you. I think that's so beautiful. And I love that you say embrace the okay, because you are so right. There is a lot of time. Yeah. I would say there's 30% high, 30% low, and about 40% okay. Yeah. And if you can't embrace the okay, you have to learn how to embrace the okay. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So where where do you find your strength and inspiration? How do you continue to grow at this point? I, I think it's internal to anybody. Um, I mean, you remember doing Strength Finders at Best Buy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, our responsibility is my number one theme. So it's just how do you channel responsibility? I channel towards my friends my or my friends, my family, my marriage, my children, developing people at work. I have, you know, a maximizer, which always shows up and I got to be aware of it because I'll drive you insane. You could have a great, you know, we have a phenomenal month or something. And I'm like, well, you know, we could have done this. Yeah. So we got to watch that and strategic. I'm a maximizer too. Yes. And so I understand wholeheartedly what yeah, you mean. I'm always the one like, well, if we would have done this, you know, we earned a dollar more, you know, and, but I think you learn to embrace those a little bit different. And maybe that's where some of the energy and power comes from. And then I think like for me, the idea of like wanting to teach, that's about like really embracing like your passion, you know? And so I think for me, what drives me a little bit is I've realized like, if I'm afraid of something, I kind of got to try it. I got to push for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm holding myself back. I'm not afraid to teach. I'm afraid to get the PhD. Right. Really? Oh, the amount of work scares the hell out of me. Yeah. So I mean, like I just wrote a paper recently, it was like 51 pages, but like a thesis for a PhD is much bigger than that. I don't know if I could, you know, and then I got to present it to someone and they could be like, ah, it's not really good. I mean, I would probably like leap across the table 
you know, be like, really? <laughs> yeah, because I think they call those sessions defending your PhD. Yes, and if they were <laughs> like, this isn't good enough, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> wait for you outside. And, but um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's just, there are people in life, and you're probably very similar, that are driven and not driven for wrong reasons. That's just who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so you always want to do well. And, and, and for different reasons, maybe it's it's driven like, I want to do well for my family. And maybe it's a little different, my children are older, so I want to show them like, hard work does pay off. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I, you know, I secure a good retirement for Laura and I. Um, the people that, I, that work for me, like, I owe it to them to come into work each day with a smile and bring out the best of them and try to develop them so that they can grow. I, I think there's different components that create the drive. You know, beyond just like, oh, I need to get promoted. I think you, you're seeking out a passion. And when you find the passion, you truly understand what makes you tick. That'll drive you for a long time because you're doing things that you enjoy. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, what about the most difficult conversation you've ever had? Most difficult? Yes. Oh, I got to think about that one. Wow. I don't know. I mean. I'm trying to think. Well, our, so are conversations difficult for you in general? Or because you, no. you you say exactly what you think. No, that's what I'm saying. You kind of like come I out mean, and I'll tell you, like, I can tell you recently. No, I mean, I, I don't really hold back a lot. And I'll share a lot. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people in reads. I use a lot of humor sometimes. I used to say I would use humor to make you think that I was sharing a lot. But I use the humor sometimes as a defense shield. So I don't have to explain everything. Right. But. I think a difficult to like just recently earlier this year. Uh, so Ian, you know, the scholarship army, he'll be an officer. He went through a phase. I think he was really struggling. There was some depression, some other components, you know, your senior year, you don't have your senior year. And he's a very social person. He was a college, it's not really college. It's online. And the ROTC was going very south, just meaning they're not meeting. They're not doing a lot. And at one point he came to me and he was like, I don't think I, I, I want to pursue that. I don't think I want to be in the army. I don't think I want to pursue the scholarship. And, you know, at first I'm like, you know, I'm inside, I'm like, really, let's yeah. have a conversation. But it was difficult to process it and then understand he's trying to connect and talk to me that I need to respect what he's saying, right? And, and, I, and having a discussion and maybe more so it was, was difficult because I wanted him to do it. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, I'm thinking to myself, this is such a great opportunity for him. And I'm like, well, it's only a great opportunity if he really wants to do it. Otherwise, it's horrible. And so the discussion was more around, hey, no matter what you do in life, mom and I are going to love you. Like, you know, I had a process. It's not like he's coming to me saying, I'm going to drop out of college and sell crack. Mm -hmm. He's saying I'm staying in college. He just wasn't sure. And I think it was a moment of growth in him trying to process and understand. And he made an amazing statement to me when we were talking. He said, and it made me feel bad in a way, he said, Everybody, including you, when they look at me, just sees Ian, the army guy. And he goes, I'm so much more than that. And I said, I don't. He goes, but that's all you ever talked to me about. And then he opened up to Laura and I that we always knew he was, he loved to write. He's like, nobody knows, like, I've written like a movie script and I've written like a book and I love to write music. And he started sharing the music and like, this is what I do. And he goes, I've realized there's more I can do in life than just the army. And it was like amazing, like he's flourishing. And then I'm starting to read some of the stuff and I'm like, oh my God, like some of his music is like unbelievable lyrics, right? And his ability, like we're sitting here realizing like, so what he does for fun time is he writes like a novel, like he's working on a novel and a, moon, a movie script that 
communicating the idea, and I think it was hard is, although I want them to experience and take this opportunity was, no matter what you choose to do, I'm always gonna be there, I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna support you, I don't care what it is. Now, at the end, after a few months, you know, he decided, this is what I wanna do, I do wanna do that. That was probably one of the harder conversations I've had in a long time. And what I mean is the conversation and the takeaways, understanding where my son was at, he's growing into an adult, and I don't have as much influence as I used to have, uh, that I have to listen to him more, and allow him the opportunity to make this decision, even if it wasn't gonna be the outcome I wanted, uh, was kind of challenging, but I learned a lot from it. And I'm sure for him, it probably also was a very difficult conversation, Yes, you know, confronting you, his dad, and telling you, look, this is not what I wanna do, but- yeah, he had me meet him after he got done working at like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> by a lake we live near, so we could walk around the lake and talk. So he had a good strategy. <laughs> he did, but I felt horrible that he was that nervous to explain it, you know? Yeah. But I can understand why. But to me, that was a tough discussion. I, I, from a work component, I don't get into it like I'm not going to yell at someone, whatever. I mean, you set thresholds, you have a lot of discussions, you do your one-on-ones, whatever you want to call them. I, I think you can have a very productive conversation with someone. And at the end of the day, if it's not working out, they're going to know it's not working out before you get there, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can separate on good terms. I don't have those issues. Uh, I think at times it's the personal conversation is going to be the hardest, especially when you got to look in the mirror and realize he is kind of right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a little bit of a challenge. So, <laughs> What about um, in terms of leadership and when you see them grow and rise and they're going to grow and they're going to rise, um, but they'll also face challenges just yeah. as you did. What leadership component do you think is most important or very important for them to understand? Wow. I don't think it's a leadership component. I can tell you, I, I've learned a lot in life from trial and error and mistakes. I've learned a lot from good leaders and bad leaders, more so from bad leaders. I've also realized that some of the people that were the hardest on me were the ones that cared the most, but taught me a lot. You know, I used to be more so a bull in a china shop. I could always get things done, but man, I would destroy people in the path. But people would leverage that because they'd get you the result. Mm -hmm. I worked for one person, a female, and uh, she was amazing. And she was a female district manager at Best Buy. And I, another reason I'm using females because you'll know there weren't a lot of female. Yeah, there the were time. not. What was there her name? We're going back years ago. And she was the first one that would challenge me and sit me down and really push my buttons. And, and in retrospect, it was all about she thought there was so much more I could do, but no one ever challenged me. And it was about challenging me. To, to work with people who thought different than me, right? To really like learn how to be flexible in my leadership style, flexible in my communication, flexible in how I'm listening. And, and you know, that was life-changing for me because without her, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so I, I think there's a lot of attributes that can make a great leader. I, I don't believe, you know, everybody wants to write a book, you know, one minute manager who stole my cheese. You know, this is all in the moment type stuff. I think the same attributes exist. I think culture changes. So I think a great leader, you know, you and I both have responsibility and maximizer, right? Was that better than empathy? And woo, it depends on the person with empathy and woo, how they go interact and how do they leverage that? Um, I think what's most important a lot of times and we forget, I do agree with empathy, but I think it's the idea of listening. If you want to be a great leader, you got to listen. You need to listen to everybody, your clients, your students, 
your future clients, your clients that leave you, your employees, your employees that leave. Because in order for people to truly hear your message, you have to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more important than you listen than you speak, right? Because I can tell you what I want, but if I'm not listening, understand that you truly process, it's irrelevant. I, I think the listening component is the most important. And the second is never forget where you come from. Remember where you came from, um, because that is really what sets your more, your ethical nature. Uh, and, and, and I don't think you can give that up because as a leader, you own two things. It's an individual, period. Uh, you own your self-respect and you own your integrity. Don't sell it. Don't sacrifice it for anyone, no matter what the cost is. Uh, you own those two things in life and become a good listener. I think people are exceptional at talking. It might be motivational, but I don't think we work enough on listening. So I think those two things is what I would be concerned about. Mm. And you said um, you own your self-respect and you own your integrity. Can you yeah. dive into that a little bit more? Well, I think they go hand in hand, right? I mean, um, your self-respect, I mean, you have to be able to go home and look at your children, look at your life, look at yourself in the mirror. If you start questioning your own self-identity, obviously something's wrong. And I think your integrity, I think once you start to sacrifice your integrity, uh, where you start to violate ethics, uh, you start to shortcut, you make certain, you know, you, any person in a level leadership or job, you know that there, there's usually like, especially in higher ed, there's a right way and a wrong way. There's no gray area. You start operating in the gray area and violating compliance. You've just sacrificed your integrity. Uh, and then your own identity, uh, you're starting to question. And I think the two go hand in hand. And if you start to sacrifice your integrity, you're going to lose your ability to lead your team because you also lead, lose the ability to hold them, hold them accountable for ensuring that they are ethical, that they're acting with morals and they're, and they're in line with what the moral nature of a company is. And those type of things bleed into your personal life as well. It's very hard in today's society and working culture to separate your work identity from your personal identity. Right. And that was one thing is tell people I loved about strength finders because it was about who you are as a person, not how you work. Right. right. Because really the way you are at work, like you're a maximizer, I'm sure at home, right? Mm-hmm. You're responsible at home. I, I think people have to understand that in today's society, your work identity a lot of times gets very blended into your personal identity, whether it's you know, a spouse, however you want to identify, a mother, father, a parent, you don't even brother, sister. Um, and once you start to sacrifice those components or your integrity level, you start to disrupt your entire life and all the people around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't come back from those issues. You can't earn that back. And you can't sell out for that for money, title, bonus. You have to understand who you are as an individual. And that's how you have to move forward in life. And people have to learn to respect that. I'm not saying you're some right wing zealot, right? But I'm saying just as an individual that's a productive member of society, you have to understand who you are. And you have to bring that to life at work and allow that to flourish because that also allows all those around you to bring their unique self, their identity, who they are to work, which helps you grow, innovate and become a very profitable enterprise and or a fun place to work where people feel free to express their identity, which allows them to freely express their ideas that contribute to the global Mm. And what do you, I'll close with this question. What do you think the world needs more of right now? There's a lot of division, a lot of it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy, it's crazy, right? Yeah. What is your thought process on where we are and then what the world needs and where we can go? Yeah, I'll identify. I don't think, I think as a world, like, like if we, if we were to look at just the U.S., my biggest concern is I think 80% of the people are quite normal, right? Uh, I think, I think 10% on each side of the political spectrum 
they are just insane. Mm-hmm. And but they control all the dialogue. Because of the loudest, yeah. The loudest, and the eighty percent sit there and they're quiet because they're afraid of cancel culture and other components. I, I think our biggest issue is we don't hold congressmen, congresswomen accountable to their oath of office and to the people that elected them. And what I mean by that is, so people say all the time, we need term limits. I'm like, we already have them, vote them out. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is whether it's a Chuck Schumer or a Mitch McConnell, if you've been there for 20, 30 years and you haven't fixed social security by now, if you haven't go. been able to address immigration, you know what I mean? You need yeah. to go. Yeah. I think on the spiritual side of that, I think what's happened is a lot of people have lost their faith in God their own individual religion, and they've replaced it with political ideology, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which scares me a little bit, I think, on both sides. There's almost like their political I- identity has become like their belief in in God. Their religion, yeah. Their religion, and that's how they're acting their life. Um, that's what scares me the most. And I think what the world needs is the world needs politicians. Like after what happened on January 6th, all the members of Congress, all of them look in the mirror and say, did I contribute value? or subtract value. Like what message am I sending out there? Um, I think the days of a John F. Kennedy, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. are long gone. I think the days of, you know, Barack Obama was amazing with hope and change and his message, right? And got people to really believe they could make a difference. Uh, we, we are dying for leaders like that, but not just the presidential level, at the congressional level. And I'm really hoping people like Tulsi Gabbard, Dan Crenshaw have a larger voice uh, they're two amazing people. They're both moderates in the respective party. They work together quite often. I also like the idea that they're younger, mm-hmm. um, more in tune to the real world. And I hope leaders like that at that level take a step forward because I think that's what we need to bring unity. I think we need the media to chill out. Uh, and I know I'm running around on this, but I, I think congressional leaders have to be held accountable. If you got 20, 25 years, get out. I think we need more Tulsi Gabbard's, Dan, Cran- Dan Cranshaw's that are moderates that'll definitely work together. I think we need the fire fringe engine uh, elements that are loudest to be quieted so that the 70 to 80% can actually make some positive traction that will benefit all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need a real presidential candidate. I think it's been a real struggle for the last six years. Uh, I think the opportunities we're being presented with are not the best this country has to offer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you on, I do agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, what I about- would have loved if Tulsi Gabbard would have run. I would have voted for her in a heartbeat. And I think mm-hmm. she would have crucified Donald Trump because she's a moderate. I think mm-hmm. she would have. I thought she was the best candidate for what the country needs. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it'll get course corrected. And then the third, the, thir- the third part of that question was, what gives you the most hope? Looking at my children and their friends, and they don't identify friends the way we would have. Uh, I think you really have a generation coming forward that doesn't really see race the way other people see race. Mm-hmm. They don't quantify people. One of Ian's best friends is a transsexual, transsexual female that became a male and serves in the army. His, his name is Aiden. It's one of Ian's friends. And I think it's a different generation, which gives me a lot of hope. They see people different. They see the world different. They've been educated different and they have a voice and it's going to be heard sooner or later. The other side that gives me hope is people when I hear like Tulsi Gabbard and Dan Dan Crenshaw talk right at times. I think they're well balanced and have a lot of common sense. And I think if they can get the political footing behind them, they're the next era of really good leaders for us. 
One of those two is the next JFK. I mean, I'd really like to see like Tulsi Gabbard run for president and Crenshaw run on a ticket with her as vice president, because mm. I think it would throw the entire political party system into a mess. Because you have mm. two moderates, Republican and Democrat working together. Yeah. But that does give me hope that there's people out there with common sense. Mm. I think more conversations like this are needed. That's what I think the oh. world means more of. So I love your show. Like I got to see the one with JP. I haven't talked to JP in forever. And I saw he moved to South Carolina and, you know, he's yeah. got that Joel Gladstone. First, I had to figure out it was JP. Because like, oh <laughs> he got kicked he off Facebook. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this looks like JP. And then yeah. it's like, you idiot. It's <laughs> it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it is. And you've had some great guests. And, it, you know, I, I think it's a society like you just. There's more factors we identify with than we don't. We just don't realize it. But mm -hmm. uh, And I know. think if we can focus on that, if yes. we can focus more on what unites us. Unless on what divides us. Unless on what, because a, a house divided will not stand. We've learned oh. this. So let's stand in what brings yeah. us together. I, I have an idea. I'll talk to you one day. I'll send you some stuff. I have an idea starting like a online mode, but I, I have this idea for electing uh, political officials out of office. Like, I, I got to figure out how I'm going to get it done, but it takes a lot of courage from a lot of people. But it's kind of like, let's say a Dick Durbin, you know, you get fed up with them. Um, there's three things we want you to get done. A year or two, you're not getting it done. It's like, so our political majority just wants to let you know you have 18 months left or you're out. Yeah, and how do we do that? How do we do well, that? Well, it's about, it's about <laughs> using social media to figure out, but we have to get people to vote in blocks, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'll tell you what I think the difference is, is people have forgotten that politicians work for us. We don't work for them. And in the U.S., uh, it's almost like a fiefdom, like we owe them. And I remember watching uh, a documentary years ago and they had a renowned politician from the uh, uh, British parliament. And he said, national healthcare will never work in the US. And the question was why? He said, because here in Britain, we're afraid of the people. He said in the US, the people are afraid of the government officials. He was therefore mm -hmm. corrupt, but you have to change that. And that's my thing was earlier, there are, they're not defined uh, term limits, but there's term limits in election and people in order for that to happen, people have to put the identity politics to a side. They have to walk away from all this device, the divisive language and focus on what most matters. Like we're all concerned about our children. We're all concerned about their education. Like there's so much that binds us to your point, unless it takes away, let's find that common ground and let our elected official know whether it's Illinois, Florida, or ever, here's what we want you to go do. And if you mm -hmm. can't do it, then you got to go. Just like mm -hmm. it would happen at your job or my job, right? Exactly. Uh, I got to figure it, it's it's something that you need a mass moment, but it's got to come from young people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a way of doing it. Like you saw Facebook came out of, out of a university setting. Uh, there is such a power at the universities with the number of students that attend. They have to find a way to connect and drive this and make it happen and be a grassroots organization. They can impact the future in the next election cycle. Mm -hmm. Just a theory. I don't know how I'm going to get it to work, though. Well, we can talk. Yeah, we'll we can talk. figure it out. Yeah, we'll talk. A really good platform, but yeah, but I think there's a way to make it happen. I, I, I we have to find a way to make that happen. Yeah, because it's not going well. Right, it's not going to go unless we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but yeah. Um, I appreciate you. Appreciate your time, and I can't wait till we talk again. A pleasure, and I love your show. So keep posting. I Thank watch you. it at work all the time, like at my lunch hour. So. Hey, re refer it. <laughs> I do. I, I have. I didn't like it and stuff, but I do like it. It's Thank really you. cool. I, I'm so proud that you did it. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It took a tremendous amount of courage. I would never do what you're doing. So God bless you. Well, you're doing it now. Thank you. Yeah, thank exactly. You. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. You've oh, certainly. No problem. It was great. I love talking to you. Be Thanks. good, my friend. Thank you. You too.
Bye-bye. Tell John I said hello, please. Thank I will. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.